The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Here she is indeed. Welcome and Happy New Year. This is the first episode of 2017 of the Future of the Future with Game Changers Radio. Thrilled to be here. And we have breaking news on the show today. We're going to be talking about CES 2017. A birdie named Grace Scott, who's on the panel today, told me it was overwhelming. Can't wait to hear it. So let's get started officially. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you know you're in the right place. What's the buzz on the street? I found a fascinating quote from a gentleman named Curtis Silver. He's a business analyst, writer, content producer, senior business analyst. He's been in a lot of different ways of writing, and uh, you can find him online, and he's writing for Forbes now. Here's the quote. It's about damn time we can control the crisp of our plain bagel with an app. I'm just going to let that sit there. Maybe it was at CES 2017. I don't know. So what's this all about? CES, if you're not familiar, is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's in Vegas every year, and it's a hot ticket. You'll see clips of it on your local news station on TV. You'll read about it online. They debut new gadgets, and I don't use gadgets as a demeaning term, just things, maybe toys, maybe serious stuff. Things like, well, you've heard of 3D printing by now. Of course, you know what robotics are. AI, artificial intelligence, VR, virtual reality, IoT, Internet of Things, wearables for health and other reasons, home automation. Yep, they all debuted there. So what does this mean to you in our business audience? What's the impact of CES, of the things that debut there on your company and your industry? You know, what's cool with consumers today very well could become business-worthy in an array of ways for you and your business. So we have a reporter on the scene, as I mentioned, Gray Scott, one of our resident, not quite resident futurists, was there. He saw so many interesting things at CES 2017, and we've invited him, and on our panel also we have Paul Lewis, Chief Tech Officer at Hitachi Canada, and Ira Burke, VP of Solutions Go-To-Market at SAP, who is a sponsor of our, again, renewing Internet of Things with Game Changers series. So let me get serious now here, and let me introduce Gray Scott. He's a futurist and founder of SeriousWonder.com. And Gray, before he starts talking about CES, sent me this wonderful quote from Leonardo da Vinci. You remember Leonardo, Italian polymath who was interested in inventions and painting and sculpting and architecture and science and music, music and math and engineering and literature and anatomy and geology and astronomy and botany. I can't, I can't even figure it all out. He lived from 1452 to 1519. And here's what 
Leonardo da Vinci said, and I quote, once you have tasted flight, you will forever walk the earth with your eyes turned skyward, for there you have been, and there you will always long to return. Grace Scott, how are you? Are you a changed man since you came back from CES? I'm a brand new person. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Delighted. I wanted to call you our reporter, our man on the street, our man on the show floor, but I didn't know how you would take that without my asking permission. So first tell me how you picked this beautifully poetic, lyrical quote from Da Vinci, and then just give us a little preview of what you're going to be talking about on the show today from CES. Well, I love that quote because I think, uh, as, as most of us know in our lives, as you move through your life and you learn certain things, uh, it's very hard to unlearn, right? It's very hard to go back. And I always say to people who say, could you do anything other than be a futurist? Uh, I don't think I could. Mm. Uh, you know, I've seen things, <laughs> the famous quote, I've seen things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see Journal the way, especially after going to CES every year, that, that changes your viewpoint too, but... You, once you see the future, it's very hard to sort of come back to the present. Greg, I have a question for you. We often think, as I mentioned, consumer cool. Yeah, I got to get one of those for myself or my kids. And wow, what it, it, the consumer show might be in January, but we got to plan. We got to be on the cutting edge. We got to be the first on our block or in our community or in our country or city to get one. Uh, and we're talking today about what will be, I don't know if the word is converting or translating into business value things. I call them gadgets. Is gadget a good word or a bad word? And Gray, just briefly, did you see enough things at CES 2017 that opened the business side of your future look? Uh, it, it did. And I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the word gadget. It, I don't feel like that's what I see at CES. I think mm-hmm. you see a lot of IOT gadgets. Like, you know, for example, you know, there's something to control your toaster. There's something to control, you know, the the rocking chair for your for your baby. There's 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 an object for almost everything at CES. So if you focus on that, and if that's uh, your goal, then of course you're going to find that. When I go to CES, what I'm looking for is the inspiration for innovation. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for why these kids are making this. These companies. Why why are they creating this device? And nine times out of ten, it's because a company has said, it's going to take us ten years to get to whatever goal they've set. And these these kids, these startups are coming in and saying, we can do it in five. We can do it in three. And it's it's much easier to bring these objects, these gadgets, to market now than it was ten years ago, whether it's 3D printer or manufacturing. They're disrupting the business model. And so that's sort of what I'm looking for. I'm also then looking for the things that I've been talking about for the last five years. I want to see what companies have sort of picked that up and how quickly the future is arriving. That's what I'm there looking for. Very interesting. Thank you. When you said uh, three years, five years, five years, three years, and you went in the time frame of bringing to market got so compressed, it reminds me of an old TV show. You're probably too young, Gray, but I think Ira Burke might remember this. It was called Name That Tune, and the contestants say, I can name that tune in five notes. I can name it in four notes. I can name it in three. I can name it in one note. Duh. Oh, yeah, and they knew what it was, so <laughs> it's getting smaller and smaller. Thank you, Gray, and welcome. Delighted to have you on board. And let's now welcome our second panelist. He's Paul Lewis, CTO at Hitachi Canada. Paul has sent me a wonderful quote from 
Walt Disney. Walter Elias Walt Disney lived from 1901 to 1966. Boy, I wonder what he'd say about IOT if he was still alive to see what the impact might be on Disneyland, Disney World, the world of fantasy looking up in flight. So here's the quote Paul has sent us from Disney. We keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. Sounds very similar. Paul Lewis, how are you and happy new year. Happy New Year to you, and uh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Love the Disney quote. Are you a a regular at Disneyland, Disney World, or you just picked up the quote and said, hey, that sounds good? I have been accused of uh, being obsessed (laughs) about both Walt Disney and Disney World. I have, in fact, been to Disney World well over 40 times. It's it's a passion of mine and my family's, yeah. We, we tend to go twice a year, but I do, I do many of them just myself, just to, uh, to, to, to breathe it in, to sort of soak up the magic. Wow. And I was asking just as a little bit of a conversational icebreaker. I had absolutely <laughs> no idea. I picked the right guy to ask the right question. So, Paul, tell us about this quote. We're talking about CES with you and Gray Scott and, and Ira Burke. I'm going to introduce in a moment. And let's talk about these gadgets, quote unquote, these things, as Gray said so beautifully, the inspiration for innovation. So what, what does this quote have to do with and what would Walt Disney say about this topic? Key word is curiosity, right? The key word is uh, how can I make the world you know, better, cheaper, faster? How can I open up this thing and see how it works? How can I make it smaller? How can I add another pixel? How can I ensure that I'm not doing the work anymore? Uh, it's how can I make it better is the key to the entrepreneur spirit, the key to what motivates new consumers to buy new things, the key that drives you know, businesses to, to tweak their operations and process. It's this innate sort of human curiosity that sort of drives that innovative behavior, which is certainly something that Disney promoted as, as part of his, considering you know, the vast majority of innovations in that animation and, and filmmaking world sort of came from, from the Disney company. And, and what do you think Walt Disney would say if he could see the, this uh, kind of quippy quote I quoted from Curtis Silver in my opening, it's damn time we can control the crisp of our bagel, our plain bagel with an app, or if he knew that we could control the thermostats in our house before we even get home, or we could have something on the front door that could show us from wherever we are in the world who is about to knock on our door or break down our door. What would he say? What do you think? Would he be thrilled? Would he be surprised? Or would he say, damn, I, I was here too soon? What would he say? Uh, I, uh, he's the ultimate futurist. You know, in, in 1920s, he... He built the uh, the World's Fair ride that focused on what the the 50s, the the 70s, the 2000s, and the future looked like, and he predicted a lot of the things that are happening now. He would, in my opinion, be on the forefront of that. It's not that he would agree or disagree; he would be delivering a good portion of the innovations that that we see today. I love that. You said Walt Disney was the ultimate futurist. I have to quote that. Gray, I think you're in good company here. Did you, Gray, did you realize or would you ever think of Walt Disney as the ultimate futurist? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he, he created a world. Yep, he certainly did. Very interesting world. And people like Paul Lewis are still going there. There must be something special about it. And let's bring in our third party today. It's Ira Burke, our third panelist, VP of Solutions Go to Market. Ira, I think your title changes every six months, and this was the one from six months ago, so I'm not sure it's current. But Ira is bringing us a very interesting quote from Albert Einstein, German-born theoretical physicist. Uh, he, he developed one of the two pillars of modern physics, the general theory of relativity, one of the most famous formulas in the 
world mass energy equivalence E equals MC squared. We all know that one. I think that was instilled on our tabula rasa when we were all born, at least those of us in the modern era. Here's the quote from Albert Einstein. You can't solve a problem on the same level that it was created. You have to rise above it to the next level. Ira Burke, Happy New Year to you. Have you been? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you? It's great to be back. I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, you here you are, a guest on somebody else's show, and we're going to be starting your show. Uh, did we do it? We did your first of the season yet, right? We already we did. did one. We did. We did. I have 14 series right now, so it's, it gets a little, little bit overwhelming. Anyway, Ira Burke, love the quote from Einstein. Tell me something. Uh, how does this apply to our topic? We're talking with Gray and Paul and you about CES translating from business cool or converting to from consumer cool to business value. Go ahead, Ira. Well, so, so, so when you look at all of the, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't fortunate enough to, uh, fortunate enough to attend uh, CES. I'm, I'm really eager to hear what, uh, what Gray has to, to say about it. Uh, but certainly from what I've read, right, you're looking at all of the different you know, devices and ideas that are coming out year after year. And to think about how they might be applied in a business context, it, it doesn't necessarily work to look, about, look at your existing systems, your existing processes, your existing lines of business, and say, where can I plug in one of these cool new gadgets? But if you can take a step up, look from the outside, and say, what business problem are we really trying to solve? What business are we in? What are customers really trying to achieve? That's when these uh, innovative gadgets really open up new opportunities, and that's why I thought this particular Einstein quote was, uh, was good for our talk today. Um, I also have to say that, um, that although uh, Gray's going to talk about CES, uh, I'm kind of jealous that he chose a Da Vinci quote because uh, uh, a few weeks ago we had the chance to go to see the Da Vinci exhibit uh, up in Boston where they've actually built out a lot of the devices that he only had in his sketchbooks um, at, the, uh, at the Science Museum. And so that's uh, another highly recommended exhibit if anybody gets to, uh, to see it to really bring to life technology from maybe a slightly different era, but also another way to open your mind. Oh, my goodness gracious. That must have been exciting and thrilling. Anything stand out in your mind, Ira, among the things you saw that were built out from Da Vinci? Anything uh, well, well, really? Well, only that, it, that if, if he thought that he could fly, actually fly in one of those things, I don't think I would have wanted to be a passenger. But, uh... <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, we, we appreciate those, those kind words of safety. Yes, even in today's world, sometimes we don't want to. Uh, yes, we don't want to. Anyway, uh, welcome to all of you. We're going to do our little segment now, our icebreaker called What's in Your Cup Today? So I'm going to go around the table and ask each of you, where are you right now? I think we can tell from Paul Lewis's accent we have a clue where he may be. Where are you right now, and what are you either drinking right now or... What were you drinking over the holidays that was very special and made you think future? Grace Scott, talk to me. I am drinking coffee with almond milk, and that is pretty standard. I think every time I've been on the show, I think that's what I've been drinking. <laughs> and did you have that on New Year's Eve, Gray? Come on. Uh, what did I have on New Year's? I usually, I'm a Riesling fan, so I, ah. you know, German Riesling, so that's probably what I had. Okay, it's a distant memory. Okay, thank you very much, Grace Scott. P Paul Lewis, where are you and what are you drinking today, or what was your New Year's beverage you'd like to share? I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I guarantee most Canadians don't believe they don't have an accent. Touche, <laughs> touche. Thank you but very I'm much. Now, what I would drink uh, five times over every day, which is a iced grande non-fat vanilla latte. Ooh, that sounds good. Iced. Oh, my goodness. Does it have ice cubes in it, or was it just made with ice cubes and stays cold? 
uh, made with ice cubes and stays cold for the time that I drink it. Very interesting. Thank you very much. And I didn't hear you say decaf, so it got a little pep in there. Ira Burke, what were you drinking over the holidays, or what's in your cup today, and where are you? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm calling in from, from Stanford, Connecticut. And, uh, and, and Bonnie, you, we've done this enough times that you know that my morning coffee comes from an old Mr. Coffee knockoff that was a giveaway from one of my uh, early employers and that I really have never been able to replicate with a uh, more modern device. And uh, the, the carafe broke a few months ago, and I was really nervous oh, no. about whether you could find a replacement for a 30-year-old carafe for a coffee maker that was probably worth $15 when it was new. Um, and? And, and, and searching the Internet, we did. So, so my coffee maker is back in business. And so I'm uh, drinking my uh, usual blend of, uh, you know, three parts of uh, Tully's breakfast blend and two parts of Tully decaf in this uh, slightly rebuilt Mr. Coffee knockoff coffee maker. Mr. Coffee knockoff, I like that. Ira, did you even for a moment doubt that you would find a replacement carafe? Come on, I think we all it know that this. Really? Can I ask, did you find it on eBay or replacement.com, or where'd you find it? So none none of those, but uh, with the persistence through Google, there was a little supply house somewhere in Indiana that had one that would fit. Wonderful. You need to call up the folks at CBS Sunday morning and tell them you found a little shop in Indiana that needs to be on their show for a brief episode of what did you, what do you need replaced from 30 years ago that no one else in the world has? And this is why we have it in our basement and we sold it to Ira Burke. We need to, we need to just recommend that to, uh, yes, what's her name? Uh, yes, we'll go, we'll go on with that one. So thank you very much. Grace Scott, Paul Lewis, Ira Burke. Good start to the show. If you're just tuning in, this is Future of the Future with Game Changers. We have to do a shout out to Brad Bork and Paul and uh, let's see Paul Clark and we also have Anya Reschke who is listening and tweeting we're tweeting at hashtag SAP radio Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP have renewed this series for another season we're very very happy to have them and we're kicking it off with a very interesting topic as Grace Scott has told us the overwhelming world of CES 2017 we're talking about predicting the impact on business of new consumer technology how long will it stay just consumer tech how long long before it becomes part of the business world and maybe your company or your industry's profitability and future path to greatness and profitability. So there we are. We're going to take a quick break. Don't you? Oh, I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I'm drinking water just like always. Cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a pink straw because it just started to rain here in New York. What can I tell you? At least it's not snow. Now we'll tell you. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. You're 
listening to The Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. I say here, period. The future is what's happening next, and it already is the past. There you go. We're speaking today with Gray Scott. Paul Lewis, Ira Burke, about CES 2017, predicting new consumer tech impact on business. That means you and our business audience all over the world. What did Gray Scott see at CES this year that might be something you want to invest in, something you want to develop, something you want to buy, something you want to sell, all kinds of ways to approach this. We've already had some wonderful quotes from our panelists from Leonardo da Vinci and Walt Disney and Albert Einstein. Now we're going to start our roundtable in earnest, as my mother likes to say, by the way, mom will turn 100 years old two weeks from tomorrow. We're counting up, not down. So we have a big celebration in, in my part of the world. Talk about what you've seen and where you've been and where you've come from. And yes, she does have a computer and she does have a cell phone. I won't say any more. So Grace Scott is going to start off the roundtable. We're going to talk about something called voice computing, conversational computing. And he says, from Alexa to Siri, we are about to enter the, the, enter the age of conversational computing. Gray, what are we talking talking about here talking get it get it get it pun, pun <laughs> well, intended you know, what are we talking <laughs> <laughs> well bonnie we, we've talked before about how um the future is arriving faster and faster on this show and that's actually what i saw at ces this year um it seems like every year that i go the future uh you know is arriving faster and faster we are moving from using our hands on a laptop or a device to having a conversation with our computers. And that was everywhere at CES. I mean, we, we know that things like uh, Alexa and Siri, you know, for example, when I'm driving, I can say to Siri, you know, I can tell her to text someone and she will text it and I don't have to touch the, the screen at all. But I think what we're going to see in the near future is that that conversational computing is going to turn into something even deeper, a real conversation, <clears throat> where the computers can remember what you've told them, they know the narrative. They know who you're talking about. Now, Siri can, can do that just because of your favorites that you've stored. I mean, she knows that, you know, what your husband's name is. She knows what your mother's name is if you've stored those things in your phone. But I'm talking about a mm-hmm. deeper narrative level. Now, a couple of the car companies <clears throat> were showing this technology where you have this conversational uh, relationship with, with the car. So imagine a driverless car in the future where... It knows you. It knows where you've been because, of course, it went with you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of relationship could also be put into the business community, right? So imagine having conversational dialogue with computers in the business world, the conference room, right? Imagine the equipment in the factory having a conversation with the equipment. It sounds like science fiction, but that's where we're headed. We're, we're moving away from touching to having deep dialogue with our computers of the, of the future. Very, very interesting. Let's see what Paul Lewis has to say about what Gray Scott introduced, the conversational era. And by the way, Gray, uh, I've heard that a lot of people are, a lot of men are actually proposing to Alexa. You've heard that? <laughs> 
Well, we know that uh, there are people that have married their avatar girlfriends, so I'm, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Paul Lewis, is she real or is she not? Paul, what do you think about this conversational future coming at us so quickly and, and applicability? What, what's happening in your world with conversational computing? Well, human interactivity is sort of the ultimate of machine learning, right? It's to say, just before the machines become sentient, it's about how to interact with them differently. A lot of it's about, uh, it's about diversity of, of, of interaction with systems and things, right? So it's not about just the keyboard or using my mobile phone, but I should be able to use my voice. At some point, I should be able to you know, use my thoughts. We can blame Star Trek and say, you know, when they're talking to the computer, they're going to do it in voice. The, the applicability to the business is sort of hands-off safety and security, as an example. So when you're in the manufacturing plant, it's about yelling stop versus having to go push the red button, right? It's about interacting with the same machine or the same tool or the same computer in many different ways versus just the one way I'm currently using. And this sort of sense of diversity is a relatively large consumer trend, in my opinion. Thank you, Paul. I'm just going to throw something in before we get Ira Burke's POV on this. Uh, we were talking about this with Maribel Lopez. Some of you may be familiar with her. Uh, Lopez Consulting, Lopez Research. She was on one of our Game Changer shows last week, and she pointed out that the, the voice commands don't work so well when you're in a crowded or a close-together office space or in somewhere in public where you can't say, hey, Siri, you know, put the spaghetti on to boil, or uh, what should I buy my girlfriend for Valentine's Day next week? You can't have those conversations out loud. So I'm wondering if there's any any um, compressing of the usefulness or the usability or the social etiquette around this. Ira Burke, let's let's keep on the topic, but I'd love to get your POV on that. Well, well so first of all, I appreciate the plug for uh, for Maribel's appearance on our Internet of Things show. So thank you for that. Uh, yes. But with the um, you know the, when we come up with a new computer interface, uh, we always need to be thinking about where it's going to be uh, applicable and where it's not. And uh, we've made this uh, the same error before, right? So, uh, for example, you know, you think around uh, you know, the time of the web browser coming out, so late 90s, early 2000s, and then everybody tried to put everything inside the web browser. And then there's this round of pushback of people who used to be able to work really fast on a more traditional interface using their whole keyboard, using all ten fingers uh, mm -hmm. that were slowed down hugely because now they had to click and wait and look at pretty graphics when they just wanted to get the work done. So uh, I think we need to uh, look and explore all the possibilities where uh, a voice interface can create an opportunity that wasn't there before, uh, but also be wary not to uh, to kind of overvalue where it can uh, where it can bring us and, and have a little bit of balance with it. Thank you. And Ira, I apologize. I don't remember Maribel was on your series. I, as I say, 14 series right now, five a week. We're debuting. We're re revive. We're reintroducing, re-debuting nine series, and we've got five brand new series debuting in, from last week till next week. And uh, yeah, a lot swirling around here. I'm in game changer mode. Gray Scott, this is your topic. Let's see what you think. Let's talk about the, the uh, social etiquette around voice technology. Can you just whisper to Siri, hey, Siri, I want the pasta al dente tonight. Will she know what you're doing? No, I think actually I can paint you a scenario of, of how I think it's going to uh, play out. Please. Um, I think uh, th the same system within every room, within every environment, will have different levels of security or uh, operation. So you'll be able to say to the, the program, enter social mode or enter business mode or enter uh. Uh, meeting mode, and it will have uh, you know, presets saved for your voice, because we know that 
that we can match the voice uh, for security purpose biometrics. And by saying intersocial mode, it will know that you're alone and that you can have that kind of conversation that you wouldn't necessarily have with your business with your business partner sitting in a in a meeting. But if you say uh, inter-business mode or inter-meeting mode, it will assume that you have your business partners around you, and it will it will set itself to a certain standard. Those things are not that hard to 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 code. Uh, it's really a matter of implementation within the environment, and that's going to be, and this is where we, we start talking about, you know, what companies we should be looking at. Mm-hmm. Now what you're talking about are audio companies. Where are the speakers? What do the speakers look like? Are they invisible? Mm. Where's the microphone? <laughs> so that's when I go to CES, I'm looking for, it's not just the tech, but who are the players within the innovation? Like, those are the people we're going to have to pay attention to. Interesting. And, and uh, all of this conversation, Gray and Paul and Ira, reminds me of the film in 2013. Anybody know a film with a title that has three letters in the name of the film that was about this? Anybody remember? Okay, it's a pronoun. Her. 2013 American romantic science fiction drama film written, directed, yeah. and produced by Spike Jones. It was about a man named Theodore Twombly, played by Joachim Phoenix, a man who develops a relationship with Samantha, his intelligent computer operating system personified through Scarlett Johansson's female voice. He does fall for her very deeply. It made me think that... Uh, People who use a psychiatrist or a psychologist to see a counselor, one day, maybe, Gray, we, we would have a therapy app that would we would tell our, our life history to, and it would be able to say, okay, calm down, I want you to do these three exercises, or have you thought about this? And, Gray, do you think we'll ever be able to do therapy from an app? Wow, would that put a lot of people out of work. What do you think? Um, I do, actually. There... That goes back to the idea of, of uh, deep conversational programming, meaning, and, and remembering a narrative, right? So imagine talking to uh, a computer in the near future, and it, it asks you, hey, tell me about that time you went to the beach when you were 12. I love that story. That kind of prompt is an emotional prompt. And so that kind of conversational computing, that kind of relationship, changes the way that we interact with our machines. And so going back to what I said earlier about having different modes, you could have multiple modes for each account, for each person, for each voice. So you could say enter therapy mode if you're alone, and it could change. Not only could the narrative change, but the style of the voice could change, even though it's the same program. So maybe the voice is much more maternal or much more um, emotional. So we have to start thinking about all of the different layers that come with not just the tech, but how does it sound? How does it feel? How does it relate to us? Very interesting. Uh, yeah, there's so many opportunities for that. I wonder if insurance companies would pay for the app. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is that, does that come under the heading of outpatient mental health, or is that out of your mind, outpatient mental health? Let's not go there. Whole new topic. We could do a show about that, Gray. I think I'd like that. <laughs> Email me separately. Paul Lewis, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about some reality checks here. Say more personal devices mean more personal security problems and concerns. Consumer market may need to augment their lax personal protection scheme at home to look much more like enterprises. Where's the business value in this? Who's going to be doing it? Paul, please tell us more. I think the vast majority of consumer home products are implemented on a Wi-Fi network with people who are not Mm -hmm. in the IT industry, right? They don't have the appropriate security to support that. And the reality is, 
while sort of the voice automation is is real and providing value, it's in combination with everything else, right? So it's the voice automation, it's a video camera, it's the biometrics on your arm, it's control of your thermostat, all working together in many ways. So if I, just controlling one of them probably doesn't have a big impact to you, but controlling all of them might have a pretty dramatic impact on your life. So we have to think about the type of protections we implement in the enterprise world and how we can sort of downscale them in an easily packageable world for the consumer market to help protect them and the reverse, right? So you've got to think as a consumer, uh, what I apply at work is what I need to apply at home instead of sort of being the same level of, of sort of lack security measures. I can't take that to work with me. I have to appreciate what the potential business impact of, of, of sort of that data control side. Mm, interesting. Ira Burke, you want to comment on this? Thoughts from the IoT world, which you're, that's your specialty. <laughs> well, well maybe, or maybe from the privacy world, because uh, okay. you know, the, so many of the technologies that we're using, uh, privacy is something that we do later. Right? It's more of an afterthought. So many of these things, either, either we're so excited that we can just make the technology work in the first place, that we put off privacy to another time, uh, or else we have you know, basic technologies, even the Internet itself, that are created with the idea of being open and redundant and, and much more interested in you know, making sure it stays up and running all the time than we are in protecting people from getting at the information inside. And uh, maybe, maybe one day, maybe at some point, we'll start to see that change. Maybe privacy will be something that gets designed into the fabric of the technologies that we're using instead of something that we apply uh, later on. It always feels like if it comes later on, there's always going to be a way to break through uh, and uh, defeat it, and it's more and more of your own information is being captured by devices that are around you. I think uh, people are going to insist that the, uh, the privacy is much more tightly, uh, tightly controlled and managed. I'm going to ask Grace Scott about that in a second, but Ira, what you said just made me think of Dusty Springfield, an old song. I think it was wishing and hoping and thinking and praying and planning and scheming. Yes, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be lovely? There's a song from Mary Poppins. So somewhere, Grace Scott, help me out here. What did you see at CES that would talk to the issues that Paul Lewis just brought up about lack security, uh, open, wide open Wi-Fi connections for home automation and a lot of personal devices? Any Anything you saw that would translate to a huge business this year? Well, <clears throat> there were a lot of, uh, of course, there were a lot of um, Internet of Things. Like I said before, there was something for everything. I mean, you can track everything at this point. There's a device for everything. <clears throat> but the security, and I agree with what Ira is saying, it's, the security seems to be, in a lot of uh, ways, an afterthought. Now, we also have to remember that one of the biggest uh, and largest companies in the world, Facebook, has already said recently that they want to be able to read your brain waves. Um, this is, uh, you know, something we should all be thinking about because if that's the case, if there is the potential, as, we, as we've talked about before on this show, to be able to predict your behaviors, <clears throat> then why would you even need to talk to a, a machine? Why do you even need IoT? It knows what you're going to do. So security in, a, in the age of Facebook saying it wants to read our brain waves, I'm I'm having a hard time sort of, in my own way, sort of getting around that, that these companies are really looking to penetrate the the brain and get inside of, of your mind. And so I don't know if privacy is going to even be, if we're, if we're going to be capable of privacy in the future. That's, and I think I've said that to you before, Bonnie. You have, yes. 
Yes, if privacy goes off. Is there anything left? Does it even mean anything anymore other than something we rail about when we are made brutally aware that somebody has, quote unquote, come into our space, violated our, our personal space, our tech space? Uh, isn't it something that we, we seem to be collectively shocked about when we hear stories that we've been hacked or that people know too much about us? But we're all out there. Gray, is there any going to be, did, is there any anything at CES that, specifically, uh, you know, like a, a privacy box or a, a, a privacy <laughs> mode, or yes, you can go into this bubble and you can be there for, for three hours a day and we'll make it a very pleasant experience and nobody will be able to reach you or, or know about you? Anything like that? Well, I understand exactly what you're describing. And I, I saw several companies were displaying um, sort of meditation pods, let's call them that, ah. um, <clears throat> where you could sort of get away from you know, you could put one of these in your office and you could sort of have a moment to yourself. But, you know, when I got inside of one of these pods and I pulled the, the, the top down, there was a screen in front of me. So, you know, I don't know that that you can escape the future. I mean, that as harsh as that sounds, that's really what we're looking at. I mean, these companies aren't going away. These technologies aren't going away. What we have to do, especially businesses, is decide what's best for the consumer, what's best for our company, what's best for our employees, and, you know, grab hold of those technologies that are going to make things better for people and, and better for your customers. And the one of the ways to do that is to really accept the fact that you can't stop some of these future technologies. Um, if you had said to people, you know, I don't want a society where people are looking at a screen on a little box, you know, that they carry in their pockets, I mean, how many of us could have stopped it? No one could have stopped it. I mean, the phone, the smartphone was bound to happen, and it did. And so, part of what I'm, part of what my job is, is to people to say to people, you know, let's move away from being future in this future denial state, and let's really start accepting the fact that we have to start talking about privacy in a new way. The old world of privacy may not be, we may not be capable of having that that world in the future. Will we ever outgrow this shock and horror, though, that it's it's not going to be there, Greg? What do you think, on an emotional well, level, me, on a social level? You know, I've been thinking a lot, especially over the last month or so, um, over the holiday break, uh, because, I, as I've told you before, I'm working on my book. And it's interesting because I feel like what's happening right now, and I think every business and every listener on your show has, has felt this, the future is has arrived so quickly in the last five to ten years, especially in the last five years, that we are all in a sort of state of future shock. Um, the average person now on the street is talking about driverless cars. That happened mm -hmm. really, really fast. And, but we don't have systems in place to sort of help people understand the technologies. There, you know, how many people have experienced driving a driverless car? Very few. There's, there's still a lot of people that haven't experienced that. But that tech is coming. So where, how do businesses and how do we as, as, as the mass market uh, and experts, how do we help people move from the future denial stage and out of the future shock stage? And I think a lot of it, when you go to CES, it's really helpful because you see these companies trying to make uh, innovations that will help people move out of that state. Mm, very profound. Thank you very much. Paul Lewis, I'm going to circle back to you. This We started off with this topic from you. Anything you want to wrap up before I move on with something from Ira Burke? 
I think I think privacy sort of hit it perfectly on the dot. I think uh, there's there's generational differences between the perception of privacy. So the younger generation is sort of uh, inside out, where everything is going to be exposed. I'm only going to talk about the really personal stuff to my really personal friends, but everything else is exposed. Where the older generation is the reverse, where I'm only going to expose things that I really want to see and everything else I'm going to sort of keep and, and hold close to me. And that's going to change over time. It'll move back to inside out, and that'll change sort of the concept of privacy. And I do think privacy will likely be sort of permission-based, right, where we're, uh, you're going to give certain people a certain amount of time, certain access to this data, and it will be revoked uh, once, once that time is eliminated. Thank you very much. And Ira Burke, I'm looking at your notes. You have a bunch of quotes here, very interesting. In his videology blog, Tony Yee, Y-I, is that Yee, Ira Burke? Is that how I should say it? Tony Yee writes about 10,000 people came to CES specifically to focus on new advertising opportunities. Quote, we live in a time when the lines between gadgets and media opportunities are blurring. Today, there are advertising opportunities everywhere we look. Ira, why don't you tell us a little more? Uh, so, uh, so another way to, to think about the, uh, you know, all the overwhelming uh, number and types of gadgets that are starting to appear is to think about which ones are going to have successful business models behind them, right? So just like we see in, um, in, in the web and in social media today that a company like Google or Facebook uh, can have money pouring in, but Twitter not so much, right, because the, uh, the business model isn't nearly well enough defined. And if we look at these uh, devices, whether it's, in, uh, you know, whether it's human speech or some of the other technologies that are, uh, that are gaining currency, uh, you want to think about how, how are people going to look at making money from those? Is it through advertising? Is, uh, is Alexa just some kind of new advertising platform that's gathering information about your habits and helping companies mm-hmm. send you the right product when you need it? Um, and, uh, and, of course, that ties back into the privacy. How much are you really willing to share with businesses that are targeting your wallet for, uh, for, for new opportunities? So I think that uh, just knowing that there are thousands and thousands of people looking you know, for example, through the lens of advertising at these gadgets, how do I get my message through this device? How do I learn about the trends, uh, the behaviors of the people who are using the devices? And how can I make money from that? And how that's going to be directing the flow of money towards certain devices and certain technologies and maybe away from others is uh, just another way to think about what we're seeing. Very interesting. Gray Scott, you were there. What did you see? Successful business models or just a bunch of interesting gadgets? Well, I, you know, I was there for four days, and uh, I always start with Eureka Park, which is the main area where all the startups sort of display their new technologies. And there are some really, really brilliant, um, innovative products that I saw. Um, I will tell you, we're going to get more into the other products later, but I, I will tell you the one thing that really blew my mind, really blew my mind, and that says a lot because I've seen a lot of futuristic tech, was a company called QRAD. It's Q.R.A.D. I think it's a French company, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, I'll try to and find And this is, this is a brilliant, brilliant product. They, what they've done is they're taking servers, and because we all know how server centers get extraordinarily hot, and that, that costs companies a lot of money. Think about Facebook. Think about Google and their server centers. They're taking individual servers, and they're building uh, radiant heaters with the servers mm-hmm. inside of them. Yes. Now, and, and so imagine filling millions of homes with 
each home having an, an individual server that's putting off radiant heat so that the, the consumer gets free heat in their home and the company gets free storage for their information. It blew my mind because it, it, was, it was one of those aha moments, I guess is what you could call it, but it was one of those moments where I thought that's where we need to head. Instead of having these massive server centers that are costing these companies you know, literally millions and millions of dollars, to keep cool, to keep private, you you just give these heaters to people to put in their homes. Gray, I looked it up, and it's, it's some people spell it Q dash or Q hyphen R A D. Others make it Q dot R A D. The Q rad warms your home with microprocessor waste heat, and I'm going to post a, uh, a URL from Engadget. They talked about it on January 4th. The Q rad warms your home, so I'm going to put that into into our Twitter stream here. Very, very interesting. Okay, uh, let's go around to Paul Lewis. Are you familiar with something like this? Any thoughts? I'm not, but I just looked it up, and it is pretty. Good. It's pretty awesome. Something it's to brilliant. <laughs> well, back to there the advertising comment. I w- I would say sort of advertising equals eyeballs equals a new currency. The reality is, consumers aren't buying apps uh, or interacting with online social. They are um, seeing advertising as they interact with their peers, and that interaction creates eyeballs. That creates eyeballs creates advertising experience, and that's the new currency. That's how, that's how trade's occurring on the Internet. And I think that's why advertising is becoming such a large part of the, uh, of the new gadget, new technology world to support that. Thank you very much. Uh, Gray, let me turn around. I'm sorry. Ira, this was yours. Any comments on that? And then we're going to get to see if we can get a list from Gray Scott before we go to our predictions in about five minutes uh, of the, the uh, some other wows that he saw at CES that he thinks have great business potential. Ira, any other thoughts about what we were discussing with oh, your Tony E. Oh, quote? Well, I'm just thinking it's a little bit chilly right now in my home office. So i got to get one of these QRAD things. Maybe just took it up to the, uh, to the computer that's in here. It looks really interesting. And you're not um, going to be able to get it, Ira, from the same place that gave you the replacement carafe for your knockoff of Mr. Coffee, I guarantee it. So well, That's where I was going to start, but we'll, we'll take yeah, I know. <laughs> Old habits. Go ahead, Ira. <laughs> no, listen, I think, uh, I, I think this, this, this area of how you monetize the, um, the uh, devices and the technologies and the ideas that are being created uh, is, is really important to follow. It's, it's a really good source of you know, brainstorming. Right for us, you know, what can I do with this? This is good. That's going to make a difference in the world, and uh, and I'm I'm curious to see how how that information starts to get more circulated as we watch what comes out of you know whether CES or future shows like that to uh, to understand the trends in uh, in building a business around these technologies. Thank you very much, Gray. Let's circle back to you. We have oh, let's see, four minutes before we go to. I'm looking up Eureka Park right now. Uh, four minutes before we go to our official predictions round, the crystal ball. So, any other gadgets you want to put in front of us, Gray, from your uh, play? Put your reporter hat on and tell us what you saw that we should be paying attention to. There are. So, the other thing that really blew my mind was a company called Ultra Haptics. It's actually a technology called Ultra Haptics. And this is a technology that uses ultrasound to generate uh, a sensorial experience where you can feel in midair uh, objects. So, for example, uh, uh, Bosch was showing this uh, for the inside of a future uh, concept car. And so what, what this allows you to do is instead of looking down while you're driving, looking down to change the heat on your, on, in your car and, and you know, change the radio dial and all that, 
the ultra-haptic actually sends up into midair the shape of whatever you want. You could create the shape of a button, a dial, anything. And so you, fe- you can actually feel that object. Sounds strange, but you can actually feel the object in midair through the ultrasound pressure, and you can control the, this, this sort of uh, virtual dial in midair without having to look down. That technology in itself, if, if, you, if you guys take a second to look it up, it's, it, that, I think, has enormous uh, implications. And obviously, because several of the car companies are trying to implement it into their cars, we know that, that ultra-haptics are going to start appearing in a lot of different places. So that was one technology I thought was just unbelievable. I have to say that I saw the LG OLED wallpaper television in person, and, of course, I wanted to rip it off the wall and you know, run out of there with it because it was, <laughs> it was so amazing. Uh, that is... That's where we wanted to be, I think, 10 years ago. Futurists wanted that to be a reality. We want wallpaper uh, that's smart. We want surfaces that are paper-thin, that are smart, and LG has, has accomplished it. I mean, it is, it is literally, it looks as thin as wallpaper. It is, is miraculous to see in person. Really? And what, what, was on, what does the wallpaper look like, Gray? Well, it's... It's a very thin uh, OLED display that you can actually hang on your wall. It has one wire that you can put through the wall, so it's, it literally just hangs on the wall. With uh, the, the one that I saw, actually hangs up on the wall with magnets. That's how light it is. So it's it's to see it in person. I have video on my Twitter feed um, when the television is turned to the side in the video because they had to mount it to, to glass panels, you cannot see the television that's how thin it is once you turn it to the side uh, in the video. You'll see in the video I, I got a great shot of it. And uh, LG has really, they, that TV blew me away. I think that was one of the most innovative things I saw as far as uh, application for OLED. And we've been talking about OLED for a very long time. We know that, that future planes will have OLED screens in them. On the inside, we know that, that driverless cars will have OLED. Everything, we're sort of going through this dematerialization of everything. Um, a lot of companies mm-hmm. have been talking about this and implementing this, where everything's getting lighter, everything's getting thinner, um, and that changes your ability as a company and your ability as an innovator to be able to put these technologies in places we've never seen before. Uh, you can't exactly You can't exactly put 30... Uh, you know, massive televisions on the inside of a, an airplane uh, where you could wrap the plane on the inside with an OLED that's paper thin. So the implications for OLED in general are just remarkable. Wow. And I think I have time for one more, the YUI, the Yi Toyota concept. Can you give us a 30-second uh, overview of that, please, Gray? Now, this goes back to the conversational computing. The UE is what it's called. And they were they were displaying a concept car for the future that would be in a relationship with you, literally in sort of a conversational relationship. But it would know you. Uh, this this AI inside of the car would know you. It would know your family. Uh, it would be reading your uh, microfacial expression, so it would know when you're stressed. It has eye tracking, so it knows where your eyes are looking. And one of the great examples it showed was that there was a father and he had a daughter in the back seat and she was, you know, she was getting hungry. They were on a road trip. It was foggy and raining. 
on a, a really windy road. And so Yui says to the driver, because it's, it's noticing that his face is showing the signs of stress, hey, you look stressed. Would you like me to take over driving? And the, the father says yes, and the car takes over. Yui takes over. So what really? we're talking about here is, is not just conversational relationships with these computers of the future. We're, we're, we're talking about the computers being able to sense how you're feeling and to be able to help you, you know, in those stressful situations where we may not ask for help. Very interesting. I'm thinking, why would you even need a therapist if you could talk to your <laughs> car? I'm sorry. And just you can, get in the car. Can, right? yeah. And will the insurance pay for that one? And who's at fault if you're telling your life story to your car and it makes a wrong turn and goes into a barricade somewhere? Oh, my, but I digress. Great. I'm going to take those as your predictions because they were great. And let's move on to Paul Lewis at Hitachi, Canada, Hitachi, Americas. Paul Lewis, love to get your predictions. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. What do you predict for what's coming out of shows like the tech consumer? Cool tech at CES, and and what's going to happen uh, by 2020 with all of this great tech? How much business impact will there be? Thoughts? So I'm going to echo the last comment. I think uh, human sensing or emotion sensing will be a relatively large impact um, in robotics. Uh, you know, Hitachi builds machines, and I think one of those machines is in fact a robot that uh, can help with uh, with home healthcare, can help with sort of emotional sensing of autism to support, uh, you know, creating that, that emotional needs. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, technologies combining and working together. So we need a means to ensure that all those machines, all those things are working together in a fashion that would deliver sort of higher order value. That translates in business because when you have all those machines together in a manufacturing plant, then you can have lights out plants, lights out power plants, lights out uh, hospital gowns, uh, or hospital uh, operating rooms. Like that can happen if only machines can talk to each other. Thank you very much, machines talking. I want them to talk to me. Ira Burke, what do you see coming down the pike from CES to our living rooms, to our garages, to our, our bedrooms? What do you see? Well, so um, one thing that, that we might see is a shift uh, to uh, yeah, consumer electronics shows seems to be very much about, uh, about devices and what they can do. Uh, but I think that uh, we may see more of a focus on the software that enables them. I think some of the trends we've just been talking about are about or are are making that more and more visible. And it could be less about the devices and more about how, how it becomes possible to enable more capabilities using um, advances in software and uh, you know creating the right platform, the right environment, bringing things together, letting not just uh, devices, but processes and, and approaches, computational approaches, interact with each other uh, to create new capabilities. So I think we may see more, um, more software over time as a component of what's been a uh, device-oriented uh, conversation. Interesting. Uh, let's see. I have two minutes, so I want to just ask Gray Scott one more question. Gray, do you think that more, more and more businesses should make uh, CES next year and the following years a field trip for their R&D people, for their design thinking people to see what they didn't think of that maybe they should be aware of and they should be putting it on their radar for, for business use? Should that be something that most businesses in, in which industries, Gray, should be there to see the, this, if you will, this incubation in uh, in prototypes or incubation in in reality in real products that are already at least existing. So, Greg, just quickly, what do you think? Field trip for all businesses mandatory twenty eighteen. I do think so. It actually gives you um, a boost of inspiration to see what's coming out, 
it uh, definitely shows you some of the technologies that have been dormant uh, in certain usage that have been you know, taken up with other devices. Uh, things are getting combined. Like, so, for example, really quickly, I saw lots of uh, wearable glasses now that are using eye tracking within the glasses so it knows exactly where you're looking. Uh, Daiquiri, which was an industrial wearable device, I put that on my, uh, and, and I could see the, the, the heat from people's bodies in the room. So there are lots of uh, reasons why people should do this, but it, it really is a necessary field trip, I think, for people to take. Thank you very much. I want to thank Gray Scott, Paul Lewis, Ira Burke. Three of you were wonderful to talk with. It was a good conversation. We talked about jumping off point with CES 2017, but we talked about so much more. Gray, thanks for all of the insights on what you actually saw at Eureka Park on the show floor, and I know you'll be back with us on many shows during the coming year. I want to thank again Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP for sponsoring Season 2 of Future of Future Game Changers. Anya Reschke, thank you so much for tweeting. Paul Clark, thanks for your help with this. Thank you to Michael Arendt engineer, engineer extraordinaire. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I think we need some kind of a voice-activated seatbelt, Gray. That's going to be the next one I'm looking for, a pretty one. What are you waiting for? It'll tell me not to eat that chocolate sundae for dessert. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll see you in one hour from now on a new episode of our new series, Partnerships Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. You don't want to miss it, 12 noon Eastern. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.